I'll give an amen to that song. It's a powerful song, and you do it and present it so well. I love that song. Um, this time, I'll introduce Dick Eldred. Uh, there's a short bio in your bulletin about him. I've not been a what I call a close friend from Dick because I, I only see him every 10 or 15 years, but what I know of him is a man after God's heart. And he'll present you a message that will intrigue you and make you hungry like that too. And uh, he has a lot more to say on, on uh, the subject. And Wednesday and Thursday night, he'll present that to us here at 7 o'clock on Wednesday and Thursday night. So please come. And with that, Dick, God bless you. Thank you, Larry. Thank you. It's great to be with you, and thank you for your wonderful hospitality. We, uh, we just enjoy being here and meeting you, and you've welcomed us so well. I, I have to tell you a little story about Larry. Um, they've, Larry and Cheryl have just welcomed us into their home, which kind of surprised me after my conversation with Larry on the way down here. I, uh, as I came through Troy, I called him and I said, are you still planning on us to come? Just kiddingly. And he said, why don't you just go on down to the Motel 8? <laughs> so I had to share that with you. So I'll tell you a little story before we start. There was a young fella in a church that uh, his pastor asked him to speak and he did such a magnificent job that he became renowned in the area for his ability to speak. And he went to, he spoke at the, at the, the Girl Scout, the Boy Scout, the Women's PTA, the school uh, teachers meeting and all of that. But every time he talked, wherever he went, he would somehow work into his speech Patrick Henry's famous line, give me liberty or give me death. Every speech, it didn't matter where he went. And he was asked to speak at the 4-H fair, the county fair. And they gave him the, su the subject to speak on of hog cholera. And the fellows and the girls and the ladies from all of his church said, there's no way in the world that this man can use Patrick Henry's famous words in that speech on hog cholera. He stepped out on the stage at the county fair. And there in the front rows was the members of his church waiting with bated breath to think, this guy, he can't do this. He said, I've been asked tonight to speak to you on the message of hog cholera. And you know what hog cholera is, don't you? It ain't no more than a bunch of bacteria running up and down inside of a hog saying, give me liberty or give me death. <laughs> Folks, you give me a microphone and I'm going to talk about Jesus Christ. I don't care where it is. I love Him. He, he is, he's all we have. He drug a piece of wood up a hill knowing that it, it was his father's will that he allowed them to nail him to it to pay the, 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 the sin debt that each one of us owe. We are eternally grateful. It's not something that we can treat lightly. It's something that needs to consume our very heart in every breath that we take to love Him and to serve Him. 
I know you miss Seth Ross, and, uh, and I can understand why. Seth is a great man, good man, did a good job here. I know you loved him. I've heard just good things about him. And uh, the future of this church depends on you, every one of you, representing Jesus Christ to this community. Not with who you get as a pastor, though we hope you get somebody that does a good job for you. But the future of this church depends on each one of you being serious about taking this vital message to people that you love. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to represent you. I pray, Father, that the words that come out of my mouth would come first out of your heart. That there would be words of conviction that there would be uh, a sincerity in all of that I say that uh, each one here would take something home that would draw them closer to you and to your son, Jesus Christ. So hide me behind the cross and let your word and your attitude and your message be heard today. In the name of Jesus, amen. I tell you that, as I start, before, years ago, I knew about Jesus, but I didn't know Jesus. My mother would tell me when I was just a lad, young boy, that she would hold up the Bible and she said, this is God's Word. And I believed that. And I've never forgotten that. And she would tell me that God hears everything you say. And I believe that. But it didn't change my life. In fact, they told me, and I don't know that I remember it, but they said they, after my mom had told me that God hears everything you say, I was out by the garden one time and I crawled up by a fence post on a woven wire fence to get as high up that post as I could get. And I was standing looking into the sky saying, Jesus, can you hear me? I guess I thought if I got a little closer, he could hear me better. But I've never, I, I, I was raised with, a belief system. But it wasn't a life-changing system. I believe that the Bible was the Word of God. I believe that God heard everything I say. I went to a country church as a kid. There, born and raised on the farm. I remember being baptized by Pastor Plum when I was probably that high. Had no idea what it meant. Had no idea what it meant, other than I was being baptized. It didn't change my life. I was kind of a rough kid. Motorcycle rider, told Larry I dumped two of them, still here. I got kicked out of English class in my 10th grade year. I had to take a correspondence course to graduate. I won't tell you what I got kicked out for. I went to the Army when I was 18 years old, hoping that I could come back and start farming with my dad. I came home from Germany on a leave nine months before I was married on my first leave home from the army, from Texas, but shipped to Germany, and I came home nine months before my discharge date, and as a result of that, my oldest son was born the day before I got home from my tour in Germany, my last tour in Germany. I spent 15 years in the trucking business in an environment that challenges everything. 
I was, you, some of you know about Pastor Billy Kennedy. He pastored the Blanchard Church of God at one time. I was baptized by, by Billy Kennedy. But I want to tell you, and I'm ashamed to tell you, that that was not life-changing for me. I just got wet. I did, and I, and I, I regret that. You know, the Bible says, and I shared this, this verse of Scripture this morning, Romans 8 9 says, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you do not belong to Him. I believed in Him. I knew about Him, but I didn't know Him. A lot of things had to happen to change in my life. Number one, my mother had cancer. Trials sometimes will get your attention. Most of the time, it'll get your attention. I was in Gary, Indiana, and I've shared some of this already with, with uh, Larry and Cheryl, so you can leave if you want. <laughs> I, uh, I was in Gary, Indiana, and I could not sleep. I had a big, I had the, I think trucks was my God at the time. I had the nicest Kenworth truck money could buy. It had a full-size beauty rest mattress. That's why I look so good, okay? Slept on a beauty rest. I could not sleep. I got up and I got down on my knees on the passenger side of the truck and I laid my head in the seat and I said, God, please, please hear me. Take care of my mom. I know how you feel that your mom is, that your mom is in deep need. Take care of my mom, God, and I'll change my life. And that was life-changing for me. I could not go back on that prayer. And I'll tell you what, I had the most miserable year or so after that. I had a brand new Kenworth truck. Everything in the world went wrong. I think God needed to pry me out of that business. I was in China Lake, California, and a guy with a Fruhoff trailer in front of me, I sensed that I was rolling and I put my foot on the brake. I wasn't moving a bit. He backed the Fruhoff trailer into the front of my truck, hit me hard enough to break the steering sector loose from the frame. A little while after that, I was going across Oregon State and blew a turbocharger. Set out in the middle by near Bend, Oregon, waiting for people from Caterpillar to come about two days later to get the truck fixed. I blew a tire coming home from Buffalo, New York. I was in a hurry. Carol said we're having, she worked at the bank. She said we're having a Christmas party at 7 o'clock. It was on a Saturday night. I came out of Boston. I stopped in Buffalo, loaded a piece of freight on Saturday morning, took off for home with the hammer down. Blew a tire and ended up in a swamp. Blew a front tire. I was coming out of... uh, a few months after that, coming over Donner Mountain, coming up into Reno. Blew a piston in that new Caterpillar engine. Well, new. It still had had about 160,000 miles on it at the time. Kenworth dealer said, don't let anybody touch it in California. Unless you want to get in your pocket. Get it home. I rented a tractor from Hertz. Went to Nebraska, unloaded, deadheaded back. I, had, I pulled a low boy trailer, loaded my truck, the Kenworth dealer called me and said, I've got good news for you. Caterpillar's going to stand behind that motor. It's got bad pistons in it. They knew by the serial number that they had a problem. I put the truck up for sale in October. I opened a welding business. 
I've been welding for a lot of years. Sandblasting, painting, and welding. Building small trailers and whatever. Waiting for that truck to sell. The day after Christmas, I said to my wife, I said, if that truck doesn't sell, I started another business. I said, if the truck doesn't sell by the first of the year, I'm dropping the price. The Kenworth dealer called me on the Monday after Christmas and said, what'd you do, Dick, pick up your truck? I said, no. <laughs> he laughed. He said, did you just invite somebody down to get it? And I said, no. He said, I guess I better call the police. It's gone. Stole it off Kenworth's lot. You think God raised up a thief? I don't think he did, but he needed, he needed me out of that business. I think God sometimes puts us through things in preparation for what he wants us to do. I see that in the life of the Apostle Paul. Studied at the feet of Gamaliel. Had no idea that someday he would be representing a man by the name of Jesus Christ. The Messiah, the Son of the living God. In my welding shop, I want to tell you what happened in my life. In my welding shop, I began, I, I, was, I was not very consistent in being in church in those trucking years. When I had, got in the welding shop, I was there every Sunday. I had a pastor that took an interest in me and asked me if I would consider being the Sunday school superintendent. I'm a gear jammer, double clutch and gear jammer. What do, what do I know about? But I said, after prayer and a lot of arguing, all right, Don, if you'll put my name in, if they neglect me, I guess that's my job. And they elected me. And it was life-changing. I took it serious. I went to Christian Workers Seminar. I got on my knees in my welding shop. In the wintertime, I didn't have heat in my building. I couldn't afford to run it at night. I had heat in the daytime. But I would go out there, and on, my, on that cold concrete floor, I forced myself to get on my knees, and I prayed for two things. And I'm going to encourage you to do the same. I prayed. I said, God, help me to love you more every day. Help me to love you more every day. To love your son. To realize, to, to, never, to never let it become mundane that your son died for me. The second thing I prayed for was fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. Look, my, my life changed. People would come into my welding shop. I had some critics that would come in and say, don't take anything there unless you want to get preached to. <laughs> Jesus was so real to me. I couldn't wait after I went to my first Christian worker seminar. The conference was meeting in Waterloo, Iowa that, that same summer. I could not wait for conference to, to, to convene so I could see some of these godly people that I had met at a Christian worker seminar. Their influence was mighty in my life. I told Carol as I was running, I ran that welding shop for about three years, and I said to Carol one day, I don't want to be in business. I want to help people find eternal life. I was contemplating moving the business to a different location that would, would thrive more. And, and the, the cost of doing that and all that, I finally said, I don't want that. I want to help people find eternal life. At age 39, I'm a, I'm a freshman at the Oregon Bible College with a bunch of 18 and 19-year-olds. And they treated me with such respect. Those kids were just great. There's only a couple that made fun of me. <laughs> I just... 
I want to give you a verse of Scripture. And it's, it's one that you probably don't find very often unless you read the Old Testament often. In, first, in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9, it says, The eyes of the Lord look to and fro throughout the whole earth that He may strongly support those whose heart is completely His. I would encourage you to mark that in your Bible. The eyes of the Lord. That must be New American Standard. Is that what you're using? That's exactly what I have here. And the other verse is this. Ephesians 3.20 Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. Not our own power, not our own strength, but praying down God's power in our life. Praying down His power. The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the entire earth that He may strongly support those whose heart is completely His. I wanted my heart to be completely His. I built a house in 1972 when I was in the trucking business and trucking was pretty good to me. I built a very nice home in Blanchard, Michigan. I thought I'd lived there my entire life. I don't live there anymore. <laughs> we sold the home, went to Bible college in 1978. You see, God isn't willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. The Bible says there's joy in the presence of the angels of heaven over one sinner that repents and comes to know Christ. God wants to strongly support those whose heart is completely His. Those who think like He thinks. He loves lost people enough that He allowed His Son to go through misery, horror, to touch people's lives. So how does God support you? I'm going to share with you some things today how God has done miraculous things, I believe miraculous things, through my life. And folks, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's about God's power working in me. The Apostle Peter and the ones that hung out with him, the Bible says were unentrained and uneducated. And God did a mighty work through them. I went to Bible college to get an education and God did some miraculous things. And I'm going to share some of those with you. When we moved to Oregon, Illinois, I went out in March and looked for work. I'm a welder. So I went to a company called Etnire Manufacturing. They build tanker trailers. And I met with their personnel man and he said, uh, yeah, we can give you a job. He said, we can start you, and this is 1978, he said, we can pay you $5 an hour. Which wasn't terrific, but it was acceptable. And so we moved out there before the college started. We moved about in July or so to get situated, rented a place, and I went to Adnire Manufacturing, and they pulled my file and said, well, I had to back up a little bit. At the same time, I went to a company called Carlson Transport. Somebody said, you ought to go up and talk to this trucking company in Byron, Illinois. And I thought, well, it wouldn't hurt. So I did. And they said, no, we don't need anybody. 
And so Ed and I are manufacturing. When I got moved out there and went to see them, they said, we can give you a job, but there's no way we we're going to pay you $5 an hour. And it was going to be like three eighty. I moved four of my sons out there, but let me tell you something about that as well. When I moved out there, my wife had my boys. I've got four sons. She had them in church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. When the, when the, when the missionary had the missionary supper on Tuesday nights once a month, my kids ate at the church. They were in the church every time the doors opened. But you know the thing that changed my boys? My boys all love the Lord. My boys are men of God. The thing I think that changed their life more than anything is when we sold everything and they saw this heart change and sold everything and went to Oregon, Illinois, not knowing what was going to happen because I wanted to serve God. And that chokes me up. But it changed my boy's life. And I'm grateful that I could do it. I think when they saw a different heart in Dad, it changed their hearts. I said, I'm going back to Carlson Transport. I can't work for 380 an hour. John Carlson, and I'm going to have a picture on the wall of him here in a little bit. You go ahead and put that up if you like. John Carlson met me out in the, he's the guy on the left in the plaid jacket. He met me in front of the building and he saw the Michigan license plate on the front of my car. Said, who do we know from Michigan? Recognized me when I got out of the car and he said, did you get moved? And I said, yes, I did. And he said, uh, you're a welder, right? And I said, yeah. He said, my welder moved to Montana last month. I need a welder. He showed me a couple jobs that he wanted to do. He wanted to revamp a trailer, a flatbed trailer, and this and that, and do some things. And I suggested where he should make the cut behind a cross member and that. I must have impressed him because he hired me. <laughs> he said, when could you start? I said, I could start. I got a conference to go to next week, but I can start right after that. He said, go in there and give Brown your clothes sizes and we'll see you on Monday, the such and such and such a date. Oh, he said, we didn't talk about wages, did we? He said, this is a union shop. He said, you'll start at nine eighty an hour. God closed the door to Ed and I are manufacturing. But it's, I'm going to tell you more about the Carlson family. I'm going to tell you a lot more about them. What a blessing it was to work for those people. My first year in college, they asked me if I would consider pastoring the East Oregon Church, a little church on the east side of Oregon. It was kind of a dumpy area. Trailer houses and little um, makeshift kind of homes, nothing elaborate. And I couldn't say no to it. I prayed about it, and I asked for three things. God, I don't want 51% of the vote. I want to know they want me to come. And I want somebody in that congregation to call me personally. It's part of the fleece I laid before God. I need somebody to call me and encourage me. And somehow, I work a night shift in a trucking company. How in the world would I teach on a Wednesday night? Well, the first two things happened. I got 
uh, an acceptable vote. A lady by the name of Donna Enyart, her husband moved Seth to Atlanta. Did you meet him? Some of you meet Donna, Denny Enyart? None of you did? Denny Enyart in the trucking business came here and moved Seth. I baptized Denny Enyart in 1983 in that church. I went into work and on the bulletin board it said, mechanics, sign up for your preferred shift. I worked with mainly, sometimes alone in that, on that evening shift. I said to Bill Carlson, the guy on the left, I said, Bill, I've been asked to pastor a church down in Oregon, Illinois, and I said, I would need to be off on Wednesday nights. He said, Ronnie Johnson just signed up for nights, takes Wednesday night off. God opened the door wide open. I hadn't had a preaching class, never, at that time. I prepared my sermons on the top of my toolbox. As I would think about a verse of Scripture, and I'm under a truck welding or doing something, and thinking about a verse of Scripture and how that applied to our lives today, and I'd make a note. By Sunday, I had a sermon that came out of my heart. I don't want to sound boastful. I baptized 33 people one year. 33. It's amazing. It's amazing to me. You see, I'm, not, I'm an evangelist. I love the Lord Jesus Christ and I want to communicate that to everybody that I meet. And, and, it, and it made a difference. We needed to build on to our church. I want to exalt a couple people here. We needed to build on, and so I put a, a graph, about a 10-foot graph on the wall that we would, a, a, a thermometer, and we would read it in. When some, every week, we'd get a few dollars and read it in. When we get to $10,000, we will somehow secure the money to build onto this building. I started there in the May of 1980 with just a handful of people in the church, and in August that year, we had 97 people packed in a room about half the size of this. Warren Sorensen, some of you know Warren Sorensen was there. He said, man, you've got to build on to this place. We started that graph. People from the Oregon church knew that we were trying to raise money to build. Two of their members, one was Russell McGaw. Russell McGaw came in. Glenn, Mag Glenn, Glenn Canfield came in. Between the two of them, they handed me $900. When I started putting red ink on that graph that day, people just were in awe when I was going to quit. We, there was a man, a pastor in the Church of God by the name of Charlie Mongan, or not Charlie Mongan, Clyde Randall. And uh, he brought a man over by the name of, of uh, Charlie Mongan to tell us how we should build onto this church. Charlie was a builder, a very wealthy builder. He came over there, and he wasn't a member of the Church of God. He had studied with Gordon Landry. He understood a lot of Bible doctrine. But he come in there and he said, here's what I would do. I would put a triple truss on that sidewall and cut that whole wall out of there. That triple truss will hold that wall. We ended up building on it. And Charlie said to me this. Charlie didn't attend a church anywhere. His wife went to another church. Charlie was not a church attender. Charlie said to me, what are you doing for money? I said, I don't know, Charlie. 
He said, come and see me. I got money. Come and see me. I've got money. Let me finish talking about Charlie. We borrowed $10,000 from Charlie Mongan. We paid back 2500 of it on, one, on a one-year anniversary when we had a sacrifice Sunday to raise money. The second year, we, pay, we paid back $2,000. We still owed him, $2,500. He and his wife, Jenny, went to Israel and came back with some uh, slide presentation. He said, he called me, he said, we'd like to come to the church and show the slides to your church family. That'd be great, Charlie. They came in on a Sunday night, cold February night, icy and cold, and showed the slides. And he said to me, he said, uh, how are you doing financially? And I said, and he said, I got something in mind for you. I've got something in mind for you. Didn't say anything. That night after Charlie left and I helped he and Jenny, they were in their 80s, I helped them out to their car on an icy, icy blacktop uh, parking lot. And I had to go to the Dixon Hospital because I had somebody in the hospital and I didn't get home till about midnight that night. And I said to Carol, let me sleep. Let me sleep in the morning. I'm not getting up. I had a class. Bob Jones or somebody, he won't miss me. <laughs> but Carol didn't let me sleep. She woke me up. She said, they've called for an ambulance at the Mongan house. And then they called back and said, they've called for the coroner. And then I got a call from the general conference. And I don't know who it was, whether David Kroger, who it was. And they said, Charlie's calling for you. I was not Charlie's pastor. Charlie didn't go to church. Jenny went to another church. Charlie wants you to come out to the house. I went out there. Charlie Mongan sitting at his kitchen table with his head in his hands. He looked up at me, made a few comments to me. We sat down. We started to make... He said, I want you to do her funeral. We're sitting there at his kitchen table making funeral arrangements for Jenny, the dearest woman in his life, and he said, I just sold some stock in Holiday Inn. He said, the certificate on it was, it was a $5,000 certificate. He said, the interest on it was $500. He said, that's enough to pay me off, isn't it? He said, I told my broker to make the check out to your church. You don't make that kind of stuff up, folks. The eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the entire earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Charlie's heart was completely his. He could see that my heart was his. And he was a generous man and he just poured out a blessing on the church. I was going to work one morning, one afternoon, I was in college in the morning, I was going to work and I was praying for John Carlson on the right. And I said, God, give me an opportunity to pray to, to talk to John about Jesus Christ. Elmer Carlson, their father, was a godly man. A godly man. The first year I pastored the East Oregon Church, a check came, made out to the church, said to, a note to me, Dick, put this in your church offering however you need it. 
a check of $500 to a church that he didn't belong to. Elmer and Anna Mae Carlson. Bill, who I talk to often, was getting his life right. John was out of control. John and his wife divorced. John was drinking crazy. And I was praying for John and on my way up Route 2, going up to work. Excuse me, i got to blow my nose. When I cry, I blow my nose a lot. I get emotional and I don't apologize for it. Going up Route 2, going to work, I was praying for John and this was my prayer. God, give me an opportunity today to talk to John about Jesus Christ. John would come out into the shop and if I'd be working alone, he'd say, Dick, see you tomorrow. Or if we're working, he'd say, boys, see you tomorrow. John come out at 5 o'clock and said, see ya. I thought, well, my prayer didn't get answered today. About 5 o'clock, about 8 o'clock at night, John came back to the shop. He had a load of humpback springs for a Mack truck. Heavy, heavy duty springs. Hard to handle. He said, Dick, give me a handle. Give me a, give me a hand on loading these. Well, they knew that sometimes I would work an eight-hour night and I only put seven hours on my timesheet. Or six, or six and a half, or something. And they questioned me, why? You were here, weren't you? Why didn't... What? Uh, I would talk... If I had a chance to talk to a driver in need, I would talk to the driver. We had a band by the name of Hank Jeanette that stood about, stood about six foot six. To pray with him, I had to reach up here to put my hand on his shoulder. Hank Jeanette's son was missing. Couldn't find his son. He was, a, he was a basket case. They finally found his son dead. High on drugs, he had fallen from a tower and went through the roof of an old building and he laid in there until he rotted and they, couldn't, they found him when his body started to stink. Hank was an absolute basket case. And I would sit and talk to Hank and I would take that off my timesheet. I would pray with Hank before he got in his truck and leave. John Carlson come in that night with that, that red pickup truck. Little red pickup truck. We unloaded the springs and he said, Dick, sit down on the tailgate here. He said, you and I haven't had a chance to talk for a long time. I said, John, your being here tonight is an answer to my prayer. On the way to work, I asked God that he had given me an opportunity to talk to you about your need for Christ. We sat on the tailgate of that truck and talked for over an hour. And when he got ready to leave, he said, don't take this off your timesheet. I've enjoyed every bit of it. His dad came to me a week or so later. He said, Dick, did you hear about John? And he was startled. I, I thought something had happened to John. I said, what's wrong? He said, oh, nothing's wrong. John's coming to church. John's coming to church. I took this picture just a few months ago. I visited John Carlson in, in Illinois because I heard he had cancer. So we made a trip from Michigan to Illinois so I could spend some time with John. His faith is in Jesus Christ. I took this picture just a few months ago. I said I was talking to him and I was talking to him about sitting on the tailgate of that truck. He said, Dick, I still got the truck. And he was in the shop. We went out there. He leaned up against that old 
150 Ford truck, and I took a picture of him. I'm expecting a call any day that I've got a funeral to go to in Illinois. People have to be a priority, folks. They have to be a priority. I thought I would never leave the East Oregon Church. Sometimes I wished I hadn't have. I was offered a position at another church, and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed, and I could not find peace in taking that position. And Warren Sorensen came to me, and he said, the Michigan Conference would like to talk to you about planting a church somewhere in the, Rock, in the, in the, in the Grand Rapids area. So we went and talked to them. They said, there's no financial guarantee. We got a few dollars, but it's not much. And when it's gone, it's gone. I had put my house on the market thinking I might take this church position and I never got a call from a realtor, not one, in the months that it was listed. I went home from Michigan, and Carol and I got excited about moving back a little closer to home and doing this, stepping out on faith to plant a church. I went and put a for sale sign by owner on a tree behind my house. My backyard was up against Route 64. You had to drive into a subdivision to get to my house. I sold the house the same week. The same week. Those are miraculous things. You don't make up those kind of stories. The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. I thought I would spend my life in Rockford, Michigan. And about four and a half years into it, I resigned and went to work at the Bible College. When we started the church at North Kent, between John Carlson, Bill Carlson, and Anna Mae and Elmer Carlson, that family sent something like $35,000 to help launch that church planning project. They didn't even belong to a church of God. $35,000. The last check that came, I would get, I would get a, a, a letter on a church, on a, on a, on a Carlson Transport stationery, usually written by Bill Carlson, with a check. The last one that came, I was pastoring the Blanchard Church in 1994, 10 years after I left their employment. A check for $1,500 to the church. Why did God close the door at Etten Iron Manufacturing? He had something else in plan that was going to be a blessing to my ministry. Let me close with this. While pastoring the church there at North Kent, I got a call from Charlie Mongan Jr. I said, Dick, can you come out and have the funeral service for my dad? Absolutely. 
I didn't know it until afterward, but when Charlie Mongan died, he gave that little church in East Oregon enough money to blacktop their entire parking lot. You think we don't serve a miracle work in God that wants lives to be touched? Folks, let me encourage you to do this. And I'm going to continue my, my challenge Wednesday and Thursday. Get on your knees. You want this church? I think this church can be with the brightest light in this community. I bet it depends on each of you. I believe if you get on your knees, every one of you, and pray seriously, God help me to love you more every day. Make it real. Fill me with your spirit. And let God motivate you to touch lives around you. This church, you'll build on again. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, Father, I'm, I'm so grateful. that I came from knowing about Jesus to knowing Jesus. And it's life-changing. Father, I have peace. I could fall over on this platform with a smile on my face because I belong to Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that the words I've said today, and I know they've been lengthy, but I pray that the words that I've said today were out of your heart, and that they will make a difference in the lives of the people that love you and want to serve you in a greater way. So I pray, Lord, that you would just pour out a blessing upon this church. In the name of Jesus, amen.